So great to have you with us. We're excited about uh, launching a brand new series today, everybody. And what we did last year, the theme for our church was Deeper in the Word. And we, we actually determined last year we did one book of the Bible and we preached about the book of Philippians, The Secret to Joy. And that was a great, a great series. And it made us determine that every year for at least one month, we'd pick one book of the Bible and we'd really dive deep into that one one book of the Bible. So that's what we're doing uh, over this three-week period for this series, and we're we've just, we're going Old Testament. So first se- first season we went we did uh, New Testament Philippians. Today we're doing Song of Solomon. I'm just kidding. We're not really, but that would be fun, wouldn't it? Uh, uh, we'll do that when one year when I'm on long service leave. Someone can, can preach Song of Songs for, for three or four weeks. No, today we're doing the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs in this series. And the book of Proverbs, uh, it, it's called Wisdom for Life is this series. Now, rather than me uh, explaining and taking some time to really go deeper into the background of the book of Proverbs, I'm going to do something today that I haven't done before. Uh, how many of you love the Bible Project? Give me a wave if you're a Bible Project fan. Okay, we've got, a num- we've got a number. If you're online, Melbs, if you love the Bible Project. If you don't, my hope is that after this next eight minutes or so, you'll get a hunger for the Bible Project. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to let the Bible Project give us an eight-minute overview of the book of Proverbs. And just to whet your appetite, the Bible Project, you can follow them on YouTube, you can, you can Google this, the Bible Project, but they do an overview of every book of the Bible. And when you read the Bible, it's really always awesome to understand uh, who wrote a particular book, why they wrote a particular book, what its content is. Was it a letter to somebody and what were they addressing? Was it, is it a recording of history? Is it, is it a poem? Is it a book of wisdom? And the book of Proverbs is, is one of three books of wisdom, Ecclesiastes, Job, and Proverbs. Is it a book of, of songs or psalms? Is it prophecies? Uh, who wrote it? Why did they write it? What's the context around when they wrote it? Uh, what's the culture that they wrote it in? And so one letter to a church in one city might be different to another city. And so when you dig deep into the Bible, you start to pull gems out that you didn't see when you're just reading verse after verse. So this should whet your appetite for Proverbs, and this should whet your appetite to uh, go deeper in the Word of God. Let's check this out. The book of Proverbs. The word proverb typically refers to a short, clever saying that offers some kind of wisdom. And this book has a lot of those, but they're almost all in the center section of the book, chapters 10 to 29. But there is way more going on in the book of Proverbs, especially at the beginning, chapters 1 through 9, and the conclusion, chapters 30 and 31. The book's been designed with an introduction, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and it first of all links this book to King Solomon. Now remember the story in 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon had asked God for wisdom to lead Israel well, and so Solomon became known as the wisest man in the ancient world, and we're told in 1 Kings chapter 4 that he wrote thousands of proverbs and poems and collected knowledge about plants and animals. So Solomon was like the fountainhead of Israel's wisdom literature. So while not all the material in this book is written by him personally, he is where Israel's wisdom tradition began. 
The introduction says that by reading this book, you too can gain wisdom. Now, wisdom for most of us means knowledge, but the Hebrew word chokhmah means much more than just mental activity. It refers to action also. So think skill or applied knowledge. This is why back in the book of Exodus, chapter 31, it was artists and craftsmen in Israel who were said to have chokhmah. So the purpose of this book is to help you develop a set of practical skills for living well in God's world. And this gets linked with another key idea in the introduction, the fear of the Lord. Now, fear here is not about terror. It's about a healthy sense of reverence and awe for God and about my place in the universe. It's a moral mindset that recognizes I am not God and that I don't get to make up my own definitions of good and evil and right and wrong. Rather, I need to humble myself before God and embrace God's definition of right and wrong, even when that's inconvenient for me. Now, this introduction leads us into the first main section of the book, chapters 1 through 9, which also doesn't contain short one-liner proverbs. Rather, what we find here are 10 speeches from a father to a son about how the son should listen to wisdom and cultivate the fear of the Lord and live accordingly, which means a life of virtue and integrity and generosity, all of which lead to success and peace. And the father warns his son also about folly and evil and stupid decisions that will breed selfishness and pride, all leading to ruin and shame. And so the son should make the pursuit of wisdom and the fear of the Lord his highest goal in life. And this way of thinking, it forms the moral logic of this entire book. Now, these speeches from the father also clue us into what biblical wisdom literature is and how it's different from other parts of the Bible. These books explore how to live well in God's world, but wisdom is not the same as law, like what Moses gave Israel at Mount Sinai. And it's not the same as prophecy, divine speech to God's people. Rather, wisdom literature has the accumulated insight of God's people through the generations about how to live in a way that honors God and others. And so, through the book of Proverbs now, these human words about wisdom have been put together as God's word and wisdom to his people, which connects to the other thing you find in chapters 1 through 9. There are four poems from Lady Wisdom. Here, wisdom has been poetically personified as a woman who calls out to humanity to pay attention and to seek her. Wisdom says that she is woven into the fabric of the universe, and so wherever you see people making wise decisions, they are relying on her. So you see someone being generous or having sexual integrity or upholding justice. They are drawing on wisdom. These Lady Wisdom poems, they're a creative, poetic way of exploring this idea that we live in God's moral universe and that goodness and justice are objective realities that we ignore to our own peril. And so fearing the Lord, living wisely, it's living along the grain of the universe. Now together, these two sets of speeches from the Father and Lady Wisdom, they make a powerful claim about this book, that you're not simply reading good advice, you're reading God's own invitation to learn wisdom from previous generations. And so in the next section of the book, chapters 10 through 29, we find hundreds of ancient proverbs and they apply wisdom and the fear of the Lord to every life topic you could imagine. Family, work, neighborhood, friendship, sex, marriage, money, anger, forgiveness, alcohol, debt, everything. And these are all filtered through the value system of Proverbs 1 through 9. Now, these Proverbs,
Proverbs, they're all pretty short. They're easy to memorize. And actually, this section of the book is meant to become a reference work that you return to time and time again throughout the years, which raises some important issues in learning how to read these Proverbs. First of all, Proverbs are by nature about probabilities. So you fear the Lord and you make wise, good choices. Things will likely go well for you. And if you don't fear the Lord, you're foolish. Your life will likely not go so well. Now, that is all often true, but not always. Which leads to the next point, that Proverbs are not promises. They're not formulas for success. So, some Proverbs, for example. The fear of the Lord prolongs your life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Or, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't turn from it. So yes, fearing God, being a moral person, will most likely lead to a better, longer life. And raising your kids in a stable, loving home does set them up well. But there are no guarantees. Lots of things can and often do go wrong in our world. And so lastly, Proverbs by nature focus on the general rule, but not the exceptions, which are many. And the wisdom books actually aren't ignorant of that. The exceptions are what the other wisdom books, Job and Ecclesiastes, are all about. And together, these acknowledge that life is too complex for simple formulas, which is why we need all of the wisdom books together to get the bigger picture. This all leads to the final section of the book, two large collections of poems. First, poems from a man named Agur, who begins by acknowledging his own ignorance and folly and his great need for God's wisdom. And then Agur discovers that divine wisdom has been given to him in the scriptures, which teach him how to live well. And so Agur is put before us as like a model reader of the book of Proverbs, somebody who's always open to hearing God's wisdom through the scriptures. The final poems are connected to a man named Lemuel. He's a non-Israelite king, and he passes on the wisdom that was given to him by his mom. It's guidance for being a wise and just leader. And then the final poem is an acrostic or an alphabet poem where each line begins with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the entire poem's about the woman of noble character. It depicts a woman who lives according to the wisdom of Proverbs and stands like a model of someone who takes God's wisdom and then translates it into practical decisions in everyday life, at work or at home, in her family and in her community. So the book opened with words from a father to a son about listening to Lady Wisdom. And so now the book closes by offering the words of a mother to her son about a woman who lives wisely. The book of Proverbs is for every person in every season of life. It's a guide for living wisely and well in God's good world. And that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. There you go. The book of Proverbs. Now, I'm sure how many uh, artists in the house are just admiring the skills there. Like, who thinks you could do that? Got anyone? Dave, I reckon you could do that. There's some people here. That, what a great overview of the book of Proverbs. Like I say, for every book of the Bible, there's at least one of those. Highly encourage you. I've got a goal to get through all of them uh, myself, and I've often referred to them, and it helps give context to Scripture. So what we're going to do over this month, uh, I would read a couple of verses of Proverbs every day and have done for probably 30 years uh, in my Bible reading. There have been years where I will 
would read a proverb, a whole proverb a day. See, there's 31 proverbs. Uh, that means it's kind of handy to go through them in a 31-day month. And so I would encourage you, if you're not a Bible daily Bible reader, that would be a great place to start to read a proverb a day. You've now got the background to what's going on in the Proverbs. And as you read them, uh, you can let God speak to your heart out of Proverbs. So what we're going to do uh, over this uh, series is we're just going to look at some some particular Proverbs, no particular order, not on particular topics, but that just uh, are alive for the preacher to help you both learn wisdom for life, but also to fall in love with the book of Proverbs. Are we good to go? So I'm going to look today at Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. And it's one of those speeches to a son uh, that is referred to from from Solomon. And so in some versions, it says, my son. In other versions, it says, my child. So let's start in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. My child, never forget the things that I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. Verse 2, if you do this, you'll live many years and your life will be satisfying. Uh, I love the way the NIV says it in verse 2. For if you do this, you'll prolong your life for many years and bring you peace and prosperity. One of the great things that Proverbs does for my heart is it stirs me to be a student of wisdom. A verse in Proverbs says, in all you're getting, get wisdom, get wisdom, get, go after wisdom. When I was a kid, my dad told me that, that wisdom in the, pro, the book of Proverbs is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom. And so often when I read the book of Proverbs, I'm, I'm, I'm reading and saying, okay, I, I've got to get the wisdom from God, but it comes from the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Ghost in my life. He's the unpacker of wisdom. He's the applier of wisdom. So he says, don't forget these, but I like, so let's just lock in on this thought. Store my commands in your heart. See, we live out of the overflow of our heart. Our heart is something that we need to guard and protect and continually root the weeds out and the negative things and the stuff that easily grows in our heart and attend the garden of our heart to get the seeds in. So that means to store my commands, the, the, the wisdom proverbs. So how do you store God's commands? David says it in Psalm 119 verse 11, your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. The more of the Word of God I've got in my heart, the less I'm likely to sin. The the Passion Translation says this, I consider your prophecies or your Word to be my greatest treasure. And I memorize them and I write them on my heart to keep me from committing sins, treason against you. So often when we become a Christian and we want to start living a life that's holy and we want to honor God, uh, we can go about it the wrong way. Our emphasis and focus can be, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm not going to swear anymore. I'm not going to curse anymore. I'm not going to lie anymore. I'm not going to gossip anymore. I'm not going to get drunk anymore. We can focus. And all of those things, that's, that's great because it lines up with the way God's called us to live. But the focus on what I'm not going to do is actually self-defeating. What we're better on focusing rather than what I'm not going to do and my strong willpower is, okay, it's going to take, take time to change. 
I'm not going to change in a day. If it's taken me 30 years to get these bad habits going, I'm not going to turn around in three days. Okay. Yes, God can do supernatural works and shifts, but I'm going to have to work on things. And so I would say one of the greatest things to work on is your heart. Because if you get, if you get, this is what part of my daily goal, I want to get the love of God into my heart. The Holy Spirit says it's the love of, his, his job is to pour the love of God. I want His presence and His love in my heart every day. And I want His Word to get in my heart every day. Because if I get it in, imagine this. Imagine that your, your heart is represented by, as a big bucket of water and it's got some dirty stuff in there and it's got some contaminants in there and it's got, and it's got some, some things in there that, are, that, that just aren't healthy. So the, the way that God gets them out is He tips more stuff in and displaces those things. So you get His love and His presence in and His Word in. So if your focus is not so much, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to get His Word in my heart. I'm going to memorize His Word. I'm going to uh, really make that a focus in my life. So how, how do I do that? Well, just recently we're, we're in a cleanup zone in our house. Uh, our uh, son Mitchell and his beautiful fiance Lydia are getting married very soon and they're moving into the bottom level of our house, which means we're kind of downsizing without moving. So when you downsize but not move, you've got to kind of go, here's all this stuff because they're going to have all this area to themselves. And, and I, I looked in there, and I, I love sporting autobiographies. Like, I love them. Cricket, AFL, rugby league, gridiron, you name it. And I had a beautiful collection of sporting biographies in, down, downstairs in the book. We had a spare bookshelf, so I filled it up with everything from Ricky Ponting to Steve Waugh to all the, all the green and gold ones. There's a beautiful collection. Here's the thing, though. I only ever read them once. Like, I, I just have a, a memory of stuff, so if I've read it once, there's no sense reading it again. Uh, like a friend of mine once said, if you read it twice, it's quite predictable the second time round. So it, it, it is quite predictable. So, so we had to make some room. And so we began to, I'm like, it took me quite a little wrestle because, you know, and Danielle's applying the home edit rules, okay? She's like, if you don't use it regularly, if, it, if it's not significantly sentimental to you, then it probably doesn't need to be in your home. So I'm going through, I'm like, well, I'm not that kind of sentimental, but I'm not using them and I'm not going to use them. So I really can get rid of them. I know. So I know. I was. Uh, so we did, and we took them to the book exchange. I got sixty bucks. You're kidding me. Anyway, uh, some they rejected. They were really good, and they rejected. They weren't good enough quality. But there was this process. Well, uh, here's here's the point of it. What we're doing is we're making room for something in our life. And we're getting rid of stuff that's stored up in our life to make room for something we want all the more. Not rent, our kids in the downstairs area. Just, 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 I know what some of you are thinking, all right. So this is it. When you're, when you're wanting your life to change, there are things that we have to store in our heart. That means that there's certain things that got to go. So that means uh, the Scripture, this is the key. The Scripture is what is going to, this is going to be one of the keys as I treasure the Word of God in my heart. It's going to be one of the keys that brings the change to my life that I want. I don't want to live with unbelief in my heart. I don't want to live with pride in my heart. I don't want to live with criticism in my heart. 
I don't want to live with insecurity in my heart. I don't want to live with unclean thoughts in my heart. So the way that I, the, the, the way that I displace them is not focusing on them, but focusing on God and His Word, and I store it in my heart. And this is what wisdom says. I'm going to store your commands in my heart so that you can uh, change my life. And this is what the Bible it gives a, a sense. Your life will be satisfying. If you memorize the Word of God, if you speak the Word of God, if you get it into your heart, and the, the easiest way to get it is to listen to it getting preached. It's to speak it, it's to sing it, it's to memorize it, it's to mutter it. And when you make that a lifestyle change, you'll find that bit by bit God changes your heart because you store His Word in your heart. That's the first two verses of Proverbs. It goes on. Verse 3. I'm just pretty much going to go through as many verses as I can uh, in the next 10 minutes. It says this, Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Goes on and says, this is what will happen if you do that. Then you will find favor with God and people and you'll earn a good reputation. Uh, another proverb says that uh, a good reputation is, is choose that over great riches. That's Proverbs 22 verse 1. Choose a good reputation over great riches. Don't go the quick fist. I, I, I think wisdom is like this. Getting wisdom in our life is playing the long game. Getting wisdom in our life is like, well, a shortcut could give me this now, but that's not wise. A shortcut could give me this now, but if I, if I, uh, if I don't follow through with my integrity in that moment, I won't respect myself and other people won't respect me. So God's like, the long game is loyalty and kindness. That's the long game. Uh, now, I'm not, a, I'm not a personal tattoo guy. I'm not into the pain, pretty much. And when I was a kid, it was, it was more a particular group of bikies and Collingwood supporters. They had tattoos, okay? So that was, now it's cool, and I get it, and I, I admire good tattoos, okay? But if I was to get a tattoo, all right, if I was, loyalty and kindness would probably be what I would get. Apart from my love, Danielle, she's my best friend. That, apart from that, all right? But loyalty and kindness would be what I'd get because this scripture, it's written on my wall, loyalty and kindness. The Proverbs, the, the wisdom says, put loyalty around your neck. Get a necklace that says no, loyalty and kindness. Bind it around your, heart, your, your hand so that every time you're dealing with people, every time you're in a particular situation, put the way you respond through the grid of loyalty and kindness, loyalty and kindness. Now, uh, if I got that as a tattoo, I'd want to make sure it was spelt correctly. I've, I looked at some tattoo fails, right? There's some really funny ones, particularly there's one guy who gets his little puppy. He thinks it's so cute. It's got this little tattoo on it. He's like, that's awesome. So he gets his own version of that on his leg only to write, later on find out it's a symbol for being neutered. <laughs> Awkward moment. Uh, there, there's, uh, I did read another one. Uh, there's so many misspelt moments. I feel like if I got a tattoo one and then B, there was a spelling mistake in it, I'd be kicked out of my home until it got, you know, Danielle hates spelling mistakes. So it would be kind of, I'd see her coming at me with a Stanley knife just to clean it out, just to get rid of it. I just, don't sleep with one eye open, I reckon. So my tattoo is loyalty and kindness. I don't need a tattoo, but it's it bind it on your arm, bind it around your neck. How do you deal with people? Loyalty. I love loyalty. I love people who are loyal. I think loyalty uh, looks a little bit like this. Loyalty is loyal to God no matter what the consequences are. 
Loyalty to family. Loyalty to those that God has placed in my life and your life. Loyalty means sticking with people even though we all go through highs and lows. Uh, playing the long game with one another. And I, I look around uh, this church and I see loyal people. I see people who have been here through good seasons and tough seasons. I see people who have stuck through, through marriages when things got really hard, but they stuck through and th- that loyalty has produced something in them. I, I look at people like Rod and Linda Frecker who are amazing. All right, part of our location, Pastor Dan Frecker's mum and dad, or Neil and Susan Newman, Pastor Ebony's mum and dad. Just these awesome people. I think some are watching online, some are here today, and there's just this sense of longevity. Each of them have had enough stuff go wrong in their lives or church or, or experiences that could easily have checked out, but they're loyal people and they're kind people. And that, that characteristic of loyalty and kindness is such a beautiful thing. Kindness is this. Kindness is treating people the way that you'd like to be treated. You can tell a lot about a person based on how they treat others when they've got nothing to gain in return. People who are disenfranchised, people who are disaffected. You you can tell a lot about a person the way they treat those who they supervise or those that they lead. You can tell a lot about a person. And kindness does this. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 about love. Love is kind. Kind. That means kindness isn't overly critical. Kindness doesn't speak harshly. Kindness sees someone else's intentions even when their actions fall short. I didn't mean that. That's not the kind of person they are. Kindness allows everyone to have a bad day or a bad week, or a bad year. That's what kindness does. Kindness gives the grace to others that we would like to be given to ourselves. Kindness sees the pain in people's lives that's behind the pain that they're causing others. Kindness understands that hurt people hurt people and has a grace for them and looks deeper behind it. Kindness speaks to a person's potential, not to their problems. Kindness lifts people up and elevates them and, and, and says words. That were. Kindness ha- has acts of kindness. Kindness is not just words. Kindness is not just what we see. There are acts of kindness that, that love and, and just put something beautiful around people's lives. Loyalty and kindness. Proverbs, if you want to memorize a great scripture, Proverbs 3 verse 3. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder and write them deep within your heart. For if you do that, you'll find favor with God and with people. You'll earn a good reputation. It was said about Jesus that he grew up in the favor of God and the favor of man. And I'd suggest that was because he was loyal and he was kind. On the cross, when Jesus has been crucified in the most excruciating, spiritual, emotional, physical moment of his life, he points to his mother and the disciple he loved, which is John, and said, John, look after my mum. What's that? Loyalty and kindness. Loyalty and kindness. This is what Proverbs teaches us, wisdom for life. Are you doing all right? Let me give you a couple more. Uh, Proverbs 3 verse 5, another of my faves. This is just, I love Proverbs. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding or don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him 
in all your ways and he will, lead, he will direct your paths. Or the NLT says, seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. I love this. Trust in the Lord. You read the Bible and you see so many times God gives an instruction that doesn't make sense. And you watch the decision, am I going to trust in God or trust in my own abilities? Am I going to trust in God's steps or am I going to, tr- am I going to follow Him? You know, it doesn't make a lot of sense to walk around a city six days in a row being silent or on the seventh day do it seven times and then give a shout. What is that? That's trusting in the Lord and leaning not on your own military experience and strategy and believing Him and acknowledging Him. Now, this takes humility to trust in God. What what about uh, if you're like, there's a flooded river, we need to get across the other side. What are we going to do, Lord? Oh, oh, some priests with the ark on their shoulder are going to walk into the flooded river. I was thinking more like building a bridge over a period of the next three years that we could, no. I I was thinking more waiting until it wasn't the flooding season where it would be, no, right now, okay, the priests with the presence, okay, I'm going to do that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Doesn't make, sometimes God's going to tell you to do things that don't make sense. That's why learning to hear the voice of God is so important. Acknowledge Him. Uh, what, what about this? We're going out to war. What, what's the strategy, Lord? Oh, sing, send all the singers and worshipers out. Yeah, not because you don't like them, okay? Just not, not as a buffer. Sorry, Nick and all the team. Not, no, that's not why we're sending you out. Just, you know, a shield. No, not that. Not the human shield. Because there's power in praise. And if you praise me and you honor me, then I will work miracles and I'll defeat your enemies for me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So what's God asking you to do that doesn't make logical sense? The beginning place of working this scripture, and I remember, I remember with this scripture, I was beginning a business with my parents when I was 21 years old. I tell this story in my book, but I literally, I had one of those moments where I walked through the garage and one of my dad's friends was there. Melbourneites, you, you like this, this story. And one of my dad's older friends, he just looked at me and he said, what are you doing? I said, oh, we're going to start a business. He goes, oh. And then he, had, he was like this old, salty, prophetic dude. You know the type? And he just sort of paused and I'm like, he's winding up on the inside to deliver a word from God to me. He just paused and then he just said, Proverbs 3, 4 and 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, acknowledge Him in all your ways and He'll direct your paths. That's your scripture for your business. I'm like, all right. The thing is, I can still remember the moment. Because when God speaks to you, you, you tend to remember the moment that the verse came alive, that the prophecy came. And it be, that became the foundation for me learning how to run a business in my early 20s. And Because I, I had a business degree, I'd, I'd managed a business for someone else for a couple of years and I thought I knew what I was doing. And as I did it, it ended up not working going backwards. So I had to get into reposition my heart and go, God, this is not working. I need to reposition myself. And so I began to pray every morning over my business and say, God, I need your wisdom. I don't know what to do. In fact, I remember doing a good old SWOT analysis. If you're involved in business, you'll know what I mean. What are the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats for my business? I'd learn it in uni. Sure, it was going to work. At the end of it, I came up with a plan. And and as I came up with the plan, I'm praying every day, it just would not sit down on the inside. It just, I'm like, it seems logical. It makes sense. But this proverb's going over in my mind, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. 
Don't lean on your own experience. Don't lean. Now, that doesn't mean we do dumb things and throw it out the door. It just means that our first place is we look to God to guide us. And so as I went and began to pray for a month, and during that month, God gave me this new picture for my business. And it just, it's like, focus on this one product and build a range around this one particular product. And it was, none of that was on my business plan. None of it. But it kept coming as I'm praying and the Spirit of God's whispering to my heart. And so, so that's what we did. We went and we built a range around that one particular product. And, and I look every year at our business and every year that product is our leading sales product. And every year the next five or six of our products are the ones that we built around it. And I look back and I go, my plan actually would have crashed and burned. John's logical plan would have crashed and burned as you come on up, keyboarders. Thank you, Rod. But God's plan... God's plan. He, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't, don't try and work it all out. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him. This is, uh, Isaiah 55 says this, uh, His ways are higher than your ways. He's, they're higher than my ways. I want us to close our eyes. We could continue in Proverbs for a long time because Proverbs are filled with such good wisdom. My hope for you, just while your eyes are closed, Melbourne, online, in the room, my hope for you is as you're reading the Proverbs, that God will give you key Proverbs that become the wisdom that you store in your heart. Proverbs that'll stop you stuffing up. Proverbs that'll protect you from going down the wrong path. Have to humble yourself. So Father, I'm praying for us. Sometimes we need a miracle breakthrough because we ignored wisdom. So Lord, let us be a people who both believe in the supernatural and breakthrough, but also give attention to your word and your wisdom. Let us store wisdom in our heart. I ask for it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen.